Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, January 16th, 2015. We don't have many Friday shows, but... Here's this one. And we're joined tonight by Fred Brunswick. And Fred is uh, well-studied in the Constitution. Uh, I wouldn't say he's an expert, but he's well-studied. And he can bring some common sense and common understanding about the Constitution to us tonight. And so, Fred, how you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? <laughs> Hanging in there, my friend. Good. So you have a constitutional lesson for us tonight. What is that? Yeah, it'll be a little short, I think, unless we get to discussing. But uh, this is Article 2 of the Constitution for the United States or of the United States. I like to say for because the people made it, not the government. Anyway, and uh, this is the section that it sets up the executive uh, branch of the government. So this is all about the president and the vice president and those kinds of things. So if we start out with Article 2, Section 1, it says the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term be elected as follows. And it goes through how to elect. One clause two, each state shall appoint in such manner as a legislature thereof of the state may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. So that means that they can have as many delegates or electors, we call them here, as they have members in the uh, Senate and in the House of Representatives. So some states have more because they have more people, and so they have more electors, and that's how they figure out that number. But it also says, no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So if you're already elected to something, if you're the president or you're a senator or you hold an office under the government, you cannot be an elector has to be a citizen who's not, you know, beholden to federal government for payment or anything else. Otherwise, it'd be a conflict of interest. And uh, then it goes to three, and section three was modified by the amendment seven. I mean, uh, twelve. And so, if you look at amendment twelve, that's actually what's um, supposedly by law that we have in place of that, and that's just how they how they vote for it, kind of a little bit about the Electoral College and the way things have to be counted, that kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of boring, and it's nothing that they're not doing, so 
I don't think we have to really go into that much. That's actually following that somewhat. Then we get to the point where, let's see, it's really kind of silly, but I guess it's important, and that is uh, section or clause four. The Congress may determine the time of choosing the electors. So Congress decides when in the year they're going to choose those electors and on the day which they shall give their votes. So they also choose when they'll vote. And which day shall be the same throughout the United States. So all the states have to have the same day, which they do that as well. Then the next one is the big one that it really bothers me a lot, and I think it bothers a lot of people. That's uh, Clause 5, where it says no person except... Oh, yeah, this is the shock and awe, because I'm, <laughs> because I'm shocked and I'm awed that there isn't enough stink about this to fix it. No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. I don't know why we have the man president right now, and all evidence points to he's not either of those. He's not a natural-born, and he wasn't uh, a citizen at the time the Constitution was adopted. So, what is it? I think we had one other president, at least it's been alluded to, I believe, I can't remember who it was, one other president that um, the question, they questioned it whether or not that was the case, and but all the records uh, ended up in a fire, huh. and so there was no way to really prove it. What uh, president was that? I believe, let's see, I don't have a list of the presidents. I used to know them in grade school. Uh, <laughs> well, there was a lot fewer of them back then. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. Uh, I can't remember the name. In the 1900s, Clements, because we didn't have a president, Clements. We had a, was it Cleveland? Maybe it was Cleveland. I can't remember. It seemed like that's the, the name. But somebody that uh, that came up while he was president, of course, he said, well, I, I have all the records, but they got burned. So, But that's one that I think really bothers me, and, and none of the courts are looking at it. The only person that I know of that has tried to do something about that is Sheriff Arapo. Is that his name? Um, down in, uh, oh, Arpaio. in Arizona. Arpaio, yeah down in Arizona, and uh, I think he's still trying to work on it, but... Uh, well, I think they silenced him. On a, everything's fallen on a deaf ear. I don't know if they silenced him or not. Well, he said he had, they, this, he had this big announcement coming in April or something of last year, and nothing ever came about. Yeah, I think, I think what they've done is uh, discredited him more than anything else, because that's what they always do. They, they can't go against the evidence, but they can discredit the messenger, and I think that's the same thing they've done there. Right. Okay, if we move on from that, um, this number six, clause six, has been modified by Amendment 25, uh, and that just talks about in case, in case of removal of the president from office or his death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers of the duties of the said office, the same shall devolve on the vice president, and it's kind of just the where it goes if you know for some reason all these people. So it goes clear down to uh, 
uh, one of the senators actually, and then down from there, whoever's the um, next in line. So that changed a little bit, uh, and because I'm not sure exactly why, because they made an <coughs> amendment to make it more easy uh, and more direct, uh, and I think it had to do also with you know, when they first set this up. You voted for president and vice president, but they may not be on the same ticket. And, of course, that changed as part of this. Then, this is number eight, clause eight. Before he enters on the execution of his office, he shall take the following oath or affirmation. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will be faithful, uh, I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. <clears throat> this is where it's written, of the United States. I've changed it to four in my notes, but it is of, and I checked that with the original, and the original does say of. So, I didn't like that, but that's the way it is. And it was that way when they first built the Constitution. So, then we can go to the next one. This is uh, Section 2, Clause 1. This is one that I've argued with other people on this, and I'm not exactly sure the way it's written, if you take it to an English professor or somebody that uh -huh. di diagram sentences, then <clears throat> what, what this says, and let me read it the way it says it. The president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States, comma, and of the militia of the several states, comma, when called into actual service of the executive departments. I mean, uh, called service of um, the United States. So, if you're, and then it has a semicolon. So if we read that the way it's written, then you can take everything out that has commas. So it's just one sentence. So then it would read, the president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy of the United States when called into actual service of the United States. Now, does that, does that sound different? Because what that says, if we go by the way English is, then he's only the commander-in-chief when he is called to be the commander-in-chief. Not all the time. Right. And that would, happen, that would happen if we got into a war, then he'd be called to be the commander-in-chief. So that's the question. We don't know for sure what was in the minds of the people that wrote it, Madison and Jefferson, but the way it's written, <clears throat> with the commas where they are, it makes it sound like uh, he's a commander-in-chief when he is called to be that, not all the time. That continues I, to say... Can I ask a question? Well, sure, actually, well, hold on, hold on. Let's, can you hold your question until we finish with the lesson? Sure. Okay, thanks. Okay, yeah, just, just write it down or something. <clears throat> Um, and then, of course, it says uh, 
he may require the opinion and writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments. So that's anybody uh, or the, the, I guess, the chiefs of staff. Everybody that's part of the executive department uh, or departments that is under the president, and he can ask them for their opinions and stuff upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices, and he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in case of impeachment. That's why, you know, the presidents every once in a while when they're leaving office, they pardon a bunch of people, uh, their friends or whatever else, so that there's not a, you know, but they can do that as long as it's not a case of impeachment. Then if we go on to Section 2, Clause 2, he shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate <clears throat> to make treaties, provide two-thirds of the senators present concur, and he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers, and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for, and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the President alone, in the courts of law, or in the heads of departments. So that's a, that's a kind of a long thing, but if we break it down, uh, he has power to make treaties, but only with the advice and consent of Congress, or I mean of the Senate, and uh, and it has to be at least two thirds of the senators. But that word in there that really gets you is two thirds of the senators present. So that means if there's three senators present, then he only needs the consent of two of them. Not the whole, not, it doesn't say two-thirds of the Senate. It says two-thirds of the senators present. And Oops. I think that's probably what happened when we got the, uh, or something similar to that when we got the Federal Reserve passed. And he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint. So they have to concur with, that's why they have the Senate hearings when he ever decides to appoint somebody. The Senate's supposed to, I mean, they're supposed to go along with it or, or say no and then they can't, they are not uh, put into the, to the office. And then it divides up the offices uh, Congress may put everything under him and say, "Okay, you can go ahead and pick people for that, and we won't bother you. You don't have, we don't have to concur with it." Uh, or they can put it in the courts of law, same kind of thing, uh, or the heads of departments. So they may, they, rather than go through every person and have their own hearing to see if they want them, they can just say, "We agree with you. Go for it." That's what's in the Constitution. Now, number three, the president shall have power to fill up all vacancies that may happen during the recess of the Senate by granting commissions which shall expire at the end of their next session, which is kind of how all the elected officers, even in states, go. 
uh, if something happens in a legislature, in the state legislature, the governor of that state can appoint somebody until the next election. Okay, now we go to Section 3, and this is all there is in the executive department. He shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union. That's where we get our State of the Union address. And recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall does necessary and expedient. He may, on extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them, and in case of disagreement between them with respect to the time of adjournment, he may adjourn them to such time as he shall think proper. Now, he can only adjourn them. He can't tell them what to do. He shall receive ambassadors and other public ministers. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed and shall commission all the officers of the United States. So we could go to a couple of three things. There's something called Obamacare, at least that's the nickname it's gotten, because he supposedly pushed for that. But why is he involved in a health care program at all? All he does is execute the laws, and the laws are supposed to be made by Congress, not the president, not the executive department. They only enforce the laws that the Congress makes. And so that's why Congress had to pass on it, but I'm not sure why he had anything to do with it. That's just kind of irritates me, but that's just me. Um, let's see where I'm at here. Congress. Um, his job is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Now, there's another thing that's gone on here, and a lot of the states I just read again today where our state uh, is is claiming that the um, immigration change that he issued an executive order on can't happen. In other words, it's not law. And so here he is trying to make law by using an executive order. There's been a lot of presidents who do that. President Bush is probably one of the most famous for the number of executive orders. But it should be noted here that executive orders, the only people that have to follow that are people within the executive department. An executive order cannot be a law, and no citizen is bound to obey it. But nobody knows that. So that's a big problem there that I see with the Constitution is they think they can make an executive order and that turns into law because the executive said this is what you got to do. And I think it's akin to some of the um, problems we're having. I mean, you can go to YouTube and you can look at umpteen million uh, YouTube videos taken with law enforcement and uh, they're not upholding the Constitution because they're expecting the citizen that they're stopping for whatever reason to buckle and just do what they say, and then some citizens know, well, I don't have to do that. And so there's there's a lot of problems. We've had uh, four shootings in Utah just since January 1. Four oh. live police and questionable, I mean, they're all being investigated, but you start to wonder... Um, 
why is this happening all of a sudden? And, of course, I feel like that's part of the problem. We have the executive department. They're supposed to enforce the laws, but they should know what law is. So our police departments apparently don't know the law in a lot of cases. And uh, the public generally across the United States is losing losing uh, trust in law enforcement. And that's one of the reasons, because they're enforcing laws either that aren't constitutional or they don't know the law that they're even enforcing. They're just doing what they're told without knowing whether it's legal or not. So it's causing a big problem. And four in the first half of a month is kind of crazy. It's really been strange. Um, Section four, this will be the last one. The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So I wonder, it seems to me like it would be a crime against the Constitution, against the people of the United States, if somebody is a president that is not lawfully um, under the Constitution, able to hold the presidency based on Section 5 of uh, Section 1. I mean, Clause 5 of Section 1. But not enough people know, not enough people care, which is one of the problems we have all over. Um, Treason. I have another document of treason that will spell it out. It's something we probably ought to send to everyone. It's really pretty interesting the way it's written. It explains that treason is a military, or at least comes under military law, not civil or criminal law. States. more diligent in learning what the law is so that they can't do something they're not supposed to do and we can stop it having that knowledge. That's oh, this is the one talking about that is treason, the things they've done there. Uh, but this uh we'll read in Article I think it's Article four, which is down the roadways. Article three is not too long. I guess we could go through Article three if you want. Uh we have another half hour or so. But uh <coughs> it's treason. Some of these things are treason because this is a Republican form of government. And this document is something called the Republican Government State Treason Test. Hmm. And so it talks about, uh, kind of gives you an idea of why this is treason, what should happen to it, and because the way it reacts in a, in a government, Republican form of government, which is the people decide everything. 
by representation. It's supposed to work that way. Uh, and I was talking to somebody today trying to explain back where it talks about the delegates that go in and vote for the presidency, our electoral college kind of thing. I went to a, a, a town hall, or not a town hall, I guess it's a caucus meeting, whatever, where all the citizens are supposed to go and pick from their district who's going to be the delegate for that district. And so then they had a few of the people, and one of them I knew real well, in fact, three of them that were, were asking to be that. And then there was one that everybody said, well, we want him to be it. And he said, I don't want to do that. And they said, well, you'd be the best anyway, so let's put your name up too. Anyway, I asked one of the ones that wanted to be that. I said, uh, how do you pick who to vote for if you're going to be the delegate and go back and vote? And this, this woman said, well, I listen to the candidates. I listen to how they talk. I listen to how they come across. I want, I want to know if they're articulate. I want to know if they carry themselves well. I want to know if they know what they're talking about, the law and all that kind of thing. And then... Uh, after listening to all them, then I decide who I think it should be. And I said, well, that's not even close. He didn't like that. The other <laughs> people were kind of, you know, bug-eyed and wondering why I'm bugging her because she's a real good friend of mine. I said, that's not, that's not the way this works. I said, you're not supposed to go back and decide anything. You're supposed to check with your constituents. You're supposed to check with all of us in the district and find out what the majority of your district wants, and then you go there and represent us, irrespective of whether you like the person or not. You're supposed to vote for the people and what the people want, or at least the majority of the people. You don't make any decisions until you find out what they want, and that's what you vote for. Wow. Because that's the way it's supposed to work. How else do we have representation? She didn't say one thing about anybody else in the district. So now we're going to... What that ends up being is everybody in the district votes for her because they think the same way. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work. It may be that everybody thinks the same way, but she's supposed to make sure that happens and vote the way they want, not what she wants. That's the big problem we've had in this thing with voting and all that. Um, what was it? I think it was Lennon. It was either Lennon or Marx that said it doesn't matter who votes. Okay. It only matters who counts the votes. It's who who counts the votes that count. Yeah, that's the only one that matters is the guy that counts the votes, not the people, not not who votes, but who counts the votes. And so, same thing. If you nip that in the bud and and get somebody that's going to decide on their own without checking with the people, that's what we get. So. Anyway, that's back to uh, treason. Treason in the Republican form of government is set up, I mean, the Republican form of government is set up so that it can't be taken over by somebody else. And that's what has been happening and has happened. Uh, this, this whole document, like I say, I, I should put that out there for everybody to have. Maybe I can send it to you and you can disperse it. But um, if we go into Article 3, because I think we have some time, we can probably do that. This is the judicial, and this has some real Ooh. nice tidbits, too. This sets up the judicial branch. There's the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court, 
and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. Now, there are some courts, and I think bankruptcy is one of those, that shouldn't be a court, and they claim that they're Article Three courts claiming that this authorizes them to be a court. But the Congress is the only one that can uh, ordain and establish courts, and that's under their you know, their charge or the things that they're able to do back in Article One, Section Eight. And this so you know, Article Three sets up the judicial department, they can't create their own courts. Although they have done that, tax court's another one. It isn't a legal court under the Constitution. Uh, the judges, both of the Supreme and Inferior Courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. Now that's interesting that same thing said about the president that that shouldn't be you know his uh, compensation should happen well it can't be diminished while he's in office, but it doesn't say anything about after they're out of office they shouldn't get retirement, not from the government they should you know while they're in office they get paid just like anybody else, and if they want to set up some kind of an independent retirement plan, that's great, but it shouldn't be furnished by the government, which it is at this point. They shouldn't have any kind of, because it's not in the Constitution. That's one point. Section 2. The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States, and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority. To all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, consuls, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states, between a state and a citizen of another state, which is one of the amendments. That's uh, Amendment 11. Uh, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizen thereof and foreign states. Okay, So those are where the the federal uh, Supreme Court has jurisdiction. But it shouldn't have jurisdiction over somebody in a state. Work with a state against a state or citizen one state against another state, those kinds of things. Uh, so they're, some of what they're involved in is not constitutional. Case of affecting ambassadors, this is uh, Clause 2. Other public ministers and consuls and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction in all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction. Okay. So if it's an ambassador or somebody basically that works for the United States, that can be uh, because they're ambassador to another country, then the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases, it is an appellate court. In other words, a lower court uh, decided something, they take it to the Supreme Court, Supreme court because they don't like the verdict and think it should be uh, looked at at the highest level. Let's see. And the regulations, um, the Congress... Shall make 
the regulations that the Supreme Court should work under. The Supreme Court can come up with the rules and regulations, but the Congress has to approve them. Section 2, Clause 3, the trial of all crimes. This is very, very important. Most people understand it, I think. The trial of all crimes, except in case of impeachment, that's in parentheses, uh, not in parentheses, but in commas, um, shall be by jury. And such trial shall be held in the state where the said crime shall have been committed. Okay, So it says nothing about a judge here. So if we read it without the impeachment part in there, the, the parentheses, the trial of all crimes shall be by jury. So this is one of the things that people say, you have the right to jury, you really don't have a right to a jury because it's mandatory. It's supposed to happen because it's mandatory. You have to have a jury. That's what it says. It doesn't say you can waive a right. If you don't have the right, you can't waive it. So a trial of all crimes is by jury, or shall be by jury. And such trial shall be held in the state where the said crime shall have been committed. So that means the states, if a crime happened in California, then a California court, not a federal court, should try it. And it shouldn't be with a judge. It doesn't say a judge. It says a jury. The way the Constitution is set up, there should be a jury of your peers that is picked by the law enforcement officer, the head of the law enforcement officer that you pick to be your law enforcement officer, which is the sheriff. So the local sheriff is the one that's supposed to orchestrate this. There shouldn't be any attorneys involved. There should be a sheriff that goes out and picks the jury. And then the jurors are the ones that ask the questions. They're the ones that got to try the thing. They're the ones that got to figure out what went on. Why are they not allowed to ask any question they want of the, the accused to find out what actually happened? That's the way the Constitution is set up. There shouldn't be any judge because a judge has no business telling the jury what to think. And yet in every case that judge is in, that's what they're there for. They give the jury instructions and all that. They restrict what the jury what the jury can do, and that shouldn't happen by anybody. The jury should decide the merits of the case. So that's a real important one. I think it's important that everybody understand that. If you go to court, first thing you want to do, I mean, if you're summoned to court, I guess you want to find out is this criminal or civil. If it's criminal, I want a jury, and I don't want a judge. In fact, the judge cannot be there under the Constitution. If he's there, he's not upholding his oath he took to uphold the Constitution. What about an arraignment? Arraignment is the first time, and that should happen by the sheriff. He's the one that said you did something wrong, or else other witnesses did. But he's the law enforcement person, and so that shouldn't happen by a judge at all. And there's, I have some more documentation on that. What about a magistrate? Same thing. That's another word for a judge. Magistrate isn't any higher than a jury. This says jury. It doesn't say anything about magistrate. There's okay. no magistrate in here. There's no judge. And so, you know, <laughs> that's very important. 
And the only time a judge, in fact, I think we looked it up the other day, Ted, um, was it the Seventh Amendment that said anything over $20, uh, a judge can only preside on any case under $20. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Now, there is uh, in Section 3 of Article 3, it gives a definition of what treason is. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them, the United States, or in adhering to their enemies, enemies of the United States, giving them aid and comfort. Uh, so any of those things, warring against them, adhering to their enemies, or giving the enemies aid and comfort. That is treason. No person shall be convicted of treason unless, the test, unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act are on confession in open court. So if they confess in treason, then you got them for treason. Also, the people are the ones that decide what the penalty is, and it has been decided that anybody convicted of treason, the penalty is death. Wow. Yeah. The second section there, the second clause. And the it doesn't say anything about death by chocolate. Nope, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you... I guess you could smother them with it, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, section 3, Clause 2, the Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained, attainted. So Congress has already decided in the code that the punishment for treason is death, We've already had that happen back when it was, you know, when we first had things going on with the Constitution. So those are some of the points uh, that leave it open for a lot more discussion, I suppose. Um, but that's a real big one. The trial of all crimes shall be by jury. And it what should about be held civil matters? Civil matters, uh, that can that can be... You then then you say you want a, a jury. You don't. It isn't. It isn't provided for. It doesn't say the trial of all civil. It says the trial of all crimes. So it's criminal. So all criminal trials have to have a jury. And uh, civil, you can have a jury because it's not criminal. Nobody's holding you. It's just two people arguing about something. Right. You know, nobody's going to put you in jail for it. Just somebody's going to have to come up with a, a decision of what's fair. And that's what the jury is supposed to do. And so if you want to go to a judge, I guess you can, if you trust the judge is fair. But there again, if it's amount over $20, he's not supposed to be there for that either. He's supposed to, he's supposed to be a jury. Uh, so it's so, all matters, not just criminal. Well, it's all matters if you request it. You can, you can demand a jury in a civil trial. Okay. But you, you can't in a criminal because it's already mandatory. <clears throat> Okay. So that's that's the first thing. I know my son got a ticket for speeding. And so we went down to, to check it out. And uh, the first thing to ask is, and that's what we did, is this a civil, is, is this a criminal or is it civil? And they said, well, it's it's a, an infraction. Said, okay. 
Is it a civil infraction or a criminal <laughs> infraction? There's only two kinds of laws. You haven't got three. It's either civil or criminal. That's all there is. Well, it's an infraction. You just said that. What, it, does it come under criminal law or civil law? And they would not answer that. They would not because it's a civil. That thing was a civil law, and if it's a civil law, then you don't go to court on that kind of a thing. You wait until they sue you, and the city can't sue anybody. A government government entity cannot sue a citizen. Well, you know, in that case, that. I'm going to say it's both civil and criminal. Well, it can't be both. It has to. Oh well, yes, it can. It's a civil contract, but it's criminal because they're acting like it's some function of government, and it's not. Well, that's what I mean. It is. It is a civil. You know, if it's a law, and it's interesting too. Like at least in in Utah here, there's been some cities that have their own ordinances. Yeah. For speeding or for parking or yep. that kind of thing, and then there's other towns in the same state that go by the state law for speeding. And so that means it's being applied differently. In one city, it's a civil thing, and in the other city, it's a criminal thing, but it's the same infraction, same same thing you did wrong, and that's inequitable. So that's unconstitutional. One of them is. It's got to fit under one or the other statewide and, you know, all over the United States. So those are some of the things that we could go into um, or think about, talk about, read, whatever. But that's all of section, I mean, uh, Article 1 and Article, Article, uh, Article 2 and Article 3. Yep, Article 1, 2, and 3, and those are the three branches of government. Yay. Article 4 talks about a bunch of other stuff that we can go into. Okay, we'll get to that next time. Yeah. So, so what about the questions? Any questions? Uh, uh, I think. It seems like to me that what you said about the president having a limited uh, status as commander-in-chief, something like that, that, right. that, pretty, that, that pretty well explains the fact why we, since 1933, they've been... They've been uh, Reestablishing that Emergency War Powers Act every year because if they didn't have it, obviously our whole Congress and executive branch would all be up on charges of of uh, treason. <laughs> treason. Yeah, they should be. They should be. Yeah. yeah they should. Yeah. Be. So actually, they that's why they have had to to go into the Emergency War Powers Act. I mean, from a, my simplest deduction, that's why, because they would they would all be hung uh, otherwise. I mean, there's just, can you think of any reason why uh, any of them wouldn't be charged with treason under under the what they're doing with oh. the war powers? I can't think of any. I know if we go back to Article 1, which is all the things that Congress is allowed to do, and you go to Section 8, they can't do anything outside the country. When they call up somebody to be their army, which they have to do only in time of war, they can't have those troops do anything outside the country, except the Navy, who is supposed to protect our water borders. Okay, That's all. We don't have a standing army, even though right now we do, but we're 
we're not supposed to. And so that's treasonous because it's, you know, it's not following the Constitution. So why doesn't these big churches, like down there in Utah, have a, quite a bit of power, or the Catholic huh? Church, why don't they uh, bring up the, why don't they let the American people know about the War Powers Act? Well, um, I I don't know why do. that is. <laughs> I do, but I I don't think they want to. They don't want to stir the pot, and then everybody start claiming, "Wait a minute, you, you're you're mixing church with state, and we can't do that." You know. Oh come on, we know no. that church the church is state. Well, it, it yeah, it may be way the way some things happen, but it's not supposed to be, and they're not supposed to you know, have anything to do with religion or vice versa. And so it has to be the people that make the difference, not the churches. It shouldn't be any organization. It should be the people that say, wait, we know what it says. We know what it means. You can't do that. And we just said you can't do that. And if you do, we're going to try it for treason. That's what should happen, but that's not what happens. So, Ted... Yes. What were you going to, if I might ask, what was your going to be, what was going to be your comment about you know why? Because the churches have already been taken over by the uh, powers that be, and they're they're under the same control. Well, some have, well, some haven't. I mean, I'd say that because <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm a church. <laughs> it comes down to that because of what I believe, what I think, and. Uh, and there are many others, you know, that are that have their own little congregation that are really not affiliated with anybody, and that's okay. But you have to be, uh, if it's if it's done in the church's name, no matter who it is. Now you're mixing church and state. It has to be the people, not the church. And I, I, I mean, we should agree with that, everybody, because. You don't want any, uh, you don't, I mean, right now we've got corporations that have already done that, right? They're the ones really kind of in charge of a lot of things because of the money and the power. Well, that's not what the people want. Right. So it should be the people deciding this stuff. And now churches are corporations. Many of them are, yeah. But the War Powers Act, I mean, we can go back farther now. We can go back to the Judicial Act of 1789. That thing, I think I've got it right here. In Section 2, it has Section 1. It's about a paragraph long. Some of that stuff doesn't make sense. Section 2, 3, and 4 are all unconstitutional on their face. And yet nobody knows what the Judiciary Act of 1789 was, unless you read it. That's what set up all the districts, federal districts, which can't be in a state, and yet that's what this thing did, and set up judges, and set up marshals, and all that kind of stuff that is unconstitutional. But nobody knows that. That's what we've been doing all this time, so it must be right. (laughs) That's the problem. So, I mean, it goes back to that. Whole thing's unconstitutional, but how many people have heard about the Judicial Act of 1789? 
1789. So do we have any more questions? Well, I don't know if it's a question, but I just wish people uh, people were aware of something as simple as the Emergency War Powers Act, because I think people would start to understand that there's a reason having initiated it and reoccurring it every year besides actually war, because we haven't been really at war since 1933, and obviously if there's a reason for it, but no media, no churches, nobody wants to bring it up so people live their lives in harmony based on entertainment. I mean, and anyway, it's, frust- it's frustrating. Football is more important. I know. Football is more fun. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, I know. Well, it's yeah. fun until the, the, the TV stations close down. <laughs> and then it'll be too late. <laughs> and the Internet. Right, exactly. Well, we can pick up next time on uh, Article 4. That has some good stuff in it. All right. Well, thank you very much. Fred, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. And we will see you guys next time. All right. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.